Hello and welcome to Room Escape Divas, your podcast on everything escape rooms. We are back after a very long hiatus. Uh, and what better way to end that hiatus than to be joined once again by the fabulous Rita Orlov of, oh my God, I was about to say Tales of Ord. Uh, Post Curious, that's you, right? Oh my God, I can't believe I Hello. had that brain fart. Hello, welcome back. <laughs> Thank you for having me again. Great to be here. Yeah, we're excited. So before we go off and talk about all sorts of fun things, I just want to say hello, everybody. We're back. And yes, it was a very long hiatus. Uh, Right off the bat, I have to apologize for my sound quality. I am at my parents' house and I forgot to bring my microphone with me. And my dad's headset microphone is pretty crappy and I didn't quite have enough time to run out to an electronic store and buy some fun gaming headset. So we're going to have a very echoey, I'm sure it sounds very echoey on your end. So once again, apologies for that. Uh, Yeah. So it is also just me today. Um, Errol is busy with many, many projects. And so he won't be joining us um, for I'm not sure how, although he's on, he's technically on this call. We're using his Zoom account and he's just listening in. And who knows, maybe he'll get so pent up with exciting things to talk about because we are talking about things in his wheelhouse today. <laughs> so maybe he'll just burst in at some point with, with commentary. I think Rita is awesome, <laughs> but I am doing work and I don't want to interrupt because You're it's not, not to be this, I'm not supposed to be here. And you'll all think I'm just like... Mm-hmm you know, interrupting and I've there over... There you go. There's Errol. So there's your Errol for the day. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us, Rita. Yeah, thanks for having me. So today uh, we're going to talk about... You You have uh, you have one great game that was out. You have another great game coming out and you have a whole other new third game that you've been developing. And so today we're going to talk about that game. And specifically, we're going to talk about nonlinear puzzle design, which is uh, something that we've sort of touched upon in this podcast, but we haven't really delved too deeply into it. And considering the world that you come from, especially take-home puzzle escape rooms, uh, it's it, it's very much a like you have a lot of experience uh, designing for that type of puzzle. So uh, let's start with why don't you tell us a little bit about the latest game you have coming out? So uh, The Light in the Mist is going to be coming to Kickstarter on September 21st, and it is a collaboration between myself and Jack Fallows, who is an illustrator and the creator of Cryptogram Puzzle Post. And Jack and I work together to create this sort of tarot deck art puzzle narrative (laughs) experience. Um, So it is a puzzle adventure in the form of a tarot deck. It comes with a story booklet and a card where you can keep track of your progress. And that's pretty much all that comes in the game. But there is so much embedded into these cards that despite the small number of components, there is quite a large amount of content. And they're all... They're all illustrated by Jack, so they look incredible. If you've never seen their work, check it out on Instagram because it's crazy. Um, And we wrote the story together. It's a coming-of-age story, and it's a bit more 
uh, character driven than a lot of the sort of escape room mystery games that you find out on the market because I find that a lot of them have a theme that's sort of a larger world scale where it's like we're trying to save people from a nuclear meltdown you know something along those lines and this is kind of more of a quiet story about a person and following her memories finding out more about her and so that uh, is where the non-linear aspect of the game comes in so you're well, to, to get further into it, then your very brief question of tell us a little bit about this game. Uh, there is a set of puzzles in the game. And apart from the first and last puzzle, they can be solved in any order. So that's 20 puzzles that could be solved in any order. And the idea was inspired by uh, the tarot deck, because when you're reading tarot, you're usually picking cards at random. And not that we necessarily expect people to play the puzzles at random, but the story will be told in a nonlinear way, regardless of how you solve the cards. So even if you solve the cards in a linear order, you're still going to get the story in a nonlinear way. And it's essentially meant to be experienced that way. However, if you did want to just read the story, you could also do that. If you wanted to just play for the puzzles, you could also mm -hmm. do that. Um, and if you didn't want to do anything and you wanted to just get a nice tarot deck, you can also do that. You can also get a very nice tarot deck. I had the pleasure of playing, I think, an alpha test, I want to call it almost beta. Yeah, beta. yeah, it was definitely an alpha. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it was it was definitely an interesting experience. Um, so this game, um, how would it differ? How did it differ in design for you from your previous games like Tales of Ward and, and Emerald Flame? In so many ways. Uh, for one thing, the components are just much more limited and much simpler, which makes it a heck of a lot easier in terms of production, but it does create a limitation in terms of what I can do with designing the puzzles, right? Because I'm limited to a deck of cards. So whatever I'm doing, I can't just add like fun little doodad <laughs> props that you can manipulate. Um, so the challenge was to find a way to make just using cards still exciting and using, you know, finding different ways to manipulate them that isn't just um, looking at a card and solving it the way that you might in a more traditional escape room. Yeah, so as you were saying, on the one hand, the deck of cards makes it a bit easier for you in that you only have one thing to focus on, right? So it 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 makes it a little bit easier design-wise when you almost you have less options, but at the same time, the more challenging part is the fact that you have to, you know, make these cards unique from each other and make the puzzles varied and make sure they're not repetitive, make sure that they're not... Um, you know, like in, ensure that they can be solved in any order. And one thing I did notice during the alpha test, at least, was it it meant that you had a lot of puzzles that required a different type of thinking. There were definitely puzzles in there where it was like, this is my wheelhouse, this is the type of puzzle I like to solve. And there were the other ones where I really struggled, where others might not, just because it's it's not my forte. Yeah, I mean, I always try to put in a variety of puzzle styles into my games. And 
So this was no exception to that, especially with so many puzzles. And <laughs> it's, you know, it feels successful when in the end, even though there are a couple puzzles that some people might not really like, there are other people who say that that was their favorite puzzle. Yeah. So I think there is, you know, something in there for everybody. How does beta testing work for something like that? Because there's so many varieties of puzzles in there. Um, how do you find the common threads for what might not be working? Well, you know when something's not working when everybody dislikes it. <laughs> That's also very true. Um, but most of the time, I've got more than one person solving things. And so, you know, people have different skills. Some people are better at spatial puzzles. Some people are better at logic puzzles. So there's usually going to be somebody on the team who will take charge on any particular puzzle. But fall else fails or if you're playing by yourself and you're like this is really not the thing that works for me then you can always look up the hints but I'm sure you know there's going to be other puzzles in it that are going to be in your wheelhouse look up the hints which you are talking about at recon I think which unfortunately will be over by the time this podcast is released but um, there are talks that are going to be available after the fact. And your hints, Rita's hints, for those who do not know, are lovely and tiered and uh, are fantastic. And so if you ever are stuck on one of Rita's puzzles, just rest assured the hint system will be wonderful and robust and will help you along the way, give you the nudge that you need. Uh, so for those, so just... Um, in true diva fashion, I have completely failed to mention <laughs> what we mean by nonlinear puzzles. So for anybody listening who might not know not know the difference between linear puzzle and a nonlinear puzzle, because there are actually a couple of definitions in the escape room world for what uh, nonlinear means. In this context, um, what nonlinear means is uh, puzzles that can be solved uh, all at the same time. So a linear puzzle design usually... Wait, wait. I think we want to say a linear game. A linear game? Rather than a linear puzzle, because in a game, you're solving right. a multitude of puzzles in That's... a nonlinear fashion. You're, sol true. you're still solving the puzzle in a linear, a linear game Prob versus a nonlinear game. Yeah, I think you're right. So when we talk about nonlinear games, for instance, uh, what we mean is that a game that doesn't happen in a traditional order. So in a linear game, um, one puzzle might lead to the next puzzle. Everything's kind of gatekeep kept out, like in a logical Gated. order, right? The, the narrative flows in a, here's the exposition, here's the uh, inciting action, here's the climax, then everything flows down. Whereas um, in a nonlinear game or even a nonlinear uh, narrative, things happen in a different order or in terms of puzzles. Um, in, in the game, people might spread out and do several puzzles at once that don't necessarily have to be solved in a certain order. And so that's that's what we mean by nonlinear. I know that there's another definition of long nonlinear in some uh, escape for some escape room designers. And that means that it means that you can go back in an escape room. So when you're going physically from room to room, a linear game is you move from one room to the next and you don't go back to that previous room ever. Uh, whereas in a nonlinear game, it means that you can, you go to, you open a secret door, you go through the passage, you get to a new room, but if you want, you can go back to the previous room and still use information there. So those are the various de definitions of nonlinear that we have. 
when it comes to designing for, for you, Rita, when it comes to um, designing nonlinear puzzles or even nonlinear narrative, what are some of the, the challenges that you face for that? Yeah, so this was the first time designing a nonlinear narrative uh, because usually my games come in several packages. And so you have kind of the first part of the story, the second part of the story, the ending. In this case, you do have a beginning and an ending, but everything in between is completely mixed up. But I always usually design the puzzles in a way that they can be solved separately. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of reasons for this. One is that if you're playing with a group, then you might want to divide the puzzles between people. Some people like to work on everything together at the same time. Some people like to split it up. And this kind of philosophy really comes from playing escape rooms and playing rooms that are linear. And sometimes we'll have a group of five and two people can work on a puzzle and everybody else is left standing around. And that's (laughs) something that I really like to avoid. Um, But the other main reason is that if you start working on a puzzle and you're just not making any headway, you could kind of default to going to the hints, but what you can do instead, if it's a nonlinear game, is just work on a different puzzle for a bit um, or work on four different puzzles and then come back to that first one in the end. And oftentimes working on something else might give you some kind of aha that will help you with the puzzle that you were stuck on before. Uh, So I think this is a great way to kind of keep flow in a game and allow it to be more interactive to a larger number of people. But your question was about the challenges of doing that. So, (laughs) but I just wanted to preface. I think it's great to talk about the the benefits of doing it. I mean, especially with with take-home rooms. Like I know that, you know, our our group, which like, like Errol, Margo and Echo and I will have a take-home room and just uh, suddenly get stuck with even just holding a, like, there's one component that we all have to look at for a different puzzle each. And it ends up in this big bottleneck where we're waiting for somebody who's squinting at the map or the piece of paper that they need, waiting for our turn to do it. And yeah, it can be killer when when that happens. Yeah, definitely bottlenecking is... <laughs> a sad point when when you're playing a game and so the more you can avoid that the better i think um it's hard because you have to find different ways to gate the player right and mm-hmm. so sometimes it's almost like a self gating like you're not going to move on to the next <laughs> phase until you've finished doing all these things sometimes it means you're going to want to have a meta where you solve five puzzles and then you use those five puzzles to uh, solve the sixth puzzle that includes all of those things. Um, Or sometimes you're just going to use those five answers in order to move on to the next part. So I think that doing it that way creates a little bit of a challenge because you have to define some kind of answer output that then allows you to move forward. So with Emerald Flame, for example, I had a chatbot, which you submit those answers to. And when you're finished with a chapter, then they'll tell you essentially that you're okay mm-hmm. to move on to the next chapter. But if you're not doing some interactive element like a chatbot, for example, then 
it's a matter like it's a little bit easier to create something linear because you're guiding a player from a start point to the next point to the next point to the next point and they're not necessarily getting distracted by other elements that are there Uh, and it's also in some ways might be easier for beginner players because they have a very clear starting point whereas if you have a lot of things that people can work on at once sometimes Mm -hmm. they get a little bit overwhelmed and they might not know where to start so it's also good i've found that it helps a lot to give people a starting point so even if it's and also make it clear that you can solve things out of order so i might say like you can you can do these in any way that you want, but here's a good place to begin. Yeah, so di- direction is always helpful. And I've definitely had those games where you you just sort of get a box or you just like, here's all the props. And <laughs> you wonder like, what, what do I do first? Uh, what's gonna what's gonna get me? And you're and you're I've gotten better at just like differentiating between the importance of puzzles or knowing when I don't have enough information. But I don't know if you find this, but I know that when I'm playing with friends who don't play a lot of puzzle games, um, a lot of my challenge is getting them to leave a puzzle alone for a while. Uh, I love that term that you had there, self-gating, where they're (laughs) holding on to this puzzle. I know that they don't have enough information. I know that they're not going to solve it, but they refuse to give up they figure they they could do it anyway, and uh, and if they can't, then they're a failure. <laughs> so I, that's yeah, we've my definitely job. experienced that in escape rooms where yeah. it's like, hmm, this seems like it's for later. So let's let's work <laughs> yeah. on what we have available now. But they clutch it to their chest, and they're like, "No, we could do this." Like, okay, you have fun. <laughs> I think what also helps when you're doing uh, when you're making multiple puzzles available to the player at once. It helps to kind of make them self-contained on their own. So, mm-hmm. or if you're, or if you're making them create connections between different objects, like have some kind of visual cues or written clues that are gonna allow them to make that connection, so that they don't have like twenty objects and they're like, oh my god, which one of them goes with which? Because I have access to so many things. So you know, instead of twenty things, make it eight things and make it clear which things go with which. Uh, So again, just to go back to Emerald Flame, like you know your goal in a chapter, for example, is to get three ingredients and you have a puzzle that has a plant in it. You have a puzzle that has a mushroom in it. And so you know that once you've solved this mushroom puzzle, you have the name of the mushroom and you're not like left wondering if there's other mushroom related objects around <laughs> that you're missing. Right. Oh, that, that makes total sense. Yeah. And so when you were creating the light in the mist um, and I know, yeah, I mentioned you, you, right. I mentioned it was like puzzles we were talking about, but again, you mentioned the narrative as well. Um, creating a nonlinear narrative is a unique challenge, but I don't know about you. I, I, I kind of find it, freeing as well um it's almost like i i like to almost like you write the narrative and then you can just split it up however you want and um how was it for what was your experience writing the narrative of this and and how did you uh go about 
um, building first world building that and then knowing how to kind of which bits to put where. Yeah, it was really an interesting process. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we we first started basically, so all the puzzles, um, for anyone unfamiliar with tarot decks, there are four suits in a tarot deck similar to a deck of cards. Those are called the minor arcana. And then there's also another uh, section of cards called the major arcana. And those are a lot of the cards that you might be semi-familiar with that are you know, sort of more unique sounding like the moon and the devil, as opposed to like the three of swords, which are part of the suits. So the puzzles are all based on the major arcana cards and they're inspired by the meanings of the cards. And we use the meanings of the cards to inspire uh, the pieces of story as well. So how the game works is when you solve a card, you get a word and you look up that word and that takes you to a passage. To, uh, to read. So kind of like you might do in like Sherlock consulting detective, except you're not in, you know, you're not investigating suspects, you're experiencing the story in this way. Uh, so we started off by having, you know, writing out what we wanted from each scene that was based on the meaning of the card. And we wrote out some basic timeline of the character's life and sort of what were the big events that happened and then arranged those scenes in a way that made sense in the timeline. And then we wrote those individual scenes. And Jack and I ended up each writing about half of them, and then we edited one another's passages to kind of you know, make the voice sound as consistent as possible. But because people were gonna experience uh, the passages in a different order, we had to make sure that there would be enough information in each one that it wouldn't matter which one you were reading first. And that also ended up resulting in having to add a little bit of extra information up front. For example, like mm -hmm. we mentioned the name of the character's brother in the introduction, because that way every single time there's a scene with her brother, people don't have to be like, wait, who's this person? They already know that it's her brother. So there were a couple pieces of information that we included up front, mm. um, but some of the puzzles also have multiple solutions. And with those, you can choose to read one of the passages or both of the passages that they lead to. And both of them are related to the card, but they, and they contain different scenes, but have sort of the same theme. So if you end up reading one of those, you're getting most of the same information that you would if you chose the other one. But if you read both of them, you are seeing an extra memory and getting a little bit more context about the narrative. So people can also choose exactly how much of the story they want to absorb. That's right. And I was a, I was a big dummy uh, when I played the alpha <laughs> because I think no 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 the alpha test was a big dummy <laughs> <laughs> because oh, I think we didn't even we didn't even have the story written when you played um I think you had the a original concept the original concept was something a little bit different where we were going more for like the concept of reading fates and mm -hmm. that uh I had one play play tester before you and then you played it and both of you were like this doesn't work <laughs> And then we were like, you're right. This is terrible. We need to write an actual story about actual people and the things that happen in their lives because that's going to be 
you know, what's effective and what draws players in as opposed to this kind of, uh, I think the original version felt a little bit more like reading cards, but at the same time, it also kind of <laughs> felt a little too much like reading horoscopes. So right. I'm glad that we scrapped that early on and we just rewrote the whole thing i but what i what i was a big dummy about was the fact that it took me maybe three of those puzzles to realize that there was a choice um and what i didn't realize was that it was and tell me tell me i can edit this out if, if it's too if it's revealing too much but i didn't realize you could solve there was essentially two different ways to solve a puzzle on a card and um and and so I, I solved a puzzle and not realizing like that what I was doing essentially was like kind of solving to my strengths. Uh so I solved the the puzzle in a way that I could. And then it was only like maybe two or three puzzles in where I was like, oh wait a second, is there two ways to solve this? And and uh you could essentially choose that. But I can always edit that out if that is too much information. No, no, you can keep that in. Awesome. But I mean, I think in a way, I think that's fine because you don't have to be solving for both. However, we did add into the instructions now (laughs) that you you have this option. Um, And a lot of things, you know, I always end up starting to design by to like a more experienced audience just because in my brain, like, I don't know how much people are going to perceive just on their own and how much I actually need to tell them. And so when we started, I sort of wanted players to figure these things out on their own as like part of the journey, but it turns out that it's just much more user-friendly to actually just tell you these things up front so you can kind of enjoy the whole game to its fullest extent that has to be a challenge like picking and choosing how much to tell the players from the start Uh, it's it's even almost like it's not even narrative exposition it's game exposition right like how much of the mechanic do you want to be a surprise and how much will that frustrate the player uh so it's yeah it must be it's a push and pull i guess to try and figure that out yeah it really is because you know it's a Surprises are fun, but people also get frustrated when they don't know and people don't like missing things a lot of the time. So I think they just, you know, want to know these things going in and having that knowledge when they're starting allows them to kind of have more agency over their own gameplay. Mm -hmm. So I'm always leaning toward players having that agency to play the game. However, they would have more fun. Yeah, I would agree with that. I um I do going back to the to the nonlinear aspect of it, I am curious in in the process of beta testing, um, did you find that people's experiences differed depending on either the the puzzles that they like solved first versus the puzzles they solved last, like depending on the flow that they ended up getting uh, based on the randomness of the tarot cards or even um, the narrative as well. Like, did they, did they have a different reaction to it depending on the order that they got to play it in? Yeah. So I'll comment on both of those things separately. Puzzle wise, if people started just happened to start trying harder puzzles earlier on 
there were times where they would get a little bit frustrated because it was just like not as good of an onboarding experience. So I ended up adding a little, some more tidbits in the beginning to kind of give you good places to start. And there's also a chart in the back that tells you which cards go with which puzzle. And that has um, some markers for kind of recommended starting puzzles. So if you're, especially if you're a little bit newer to puzzle games, then it helps to start out with those before you move on to the more challenging ones. And it was interesting to see how people played because some people picked at random. Some people were like, this card looks pretty. I want to solve this. <laughs> uh, and some people were like, oh, the story was talking about, you know, the mom. So let's do the Empress next. Uh, and so oh, they kind of okay. made connections based on that, which I loved. And then some people just played the cards in order. And it sort of happened by accident. But a few of the cards earlier on in the set are a little bit more challenging. And so I actually started to actively discourage people from doing them in order because they, they will experience the story in a nonlinear way, even if they play the cards in order. So there's really no reason to do it that way unless you're just a person who like really <laughs> likes following numbers. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess so. I need some order amongst this chaos. Yeah. Um, and story-wise, it was also, you know, kind of unique how different teams perceived it because some people saw the effects of certain events first and then they found out why or how those things happened oh, uh, whereas yeah. some people kind of saw some earlier scenes and got a little bit of background and then they saw what happened in the end and i i don't think that like affected people's enjoyment of the story mm -hmm. um but and i think it's actually sort of nice that everybody gets to have their own like unique way of going through it yeah, there's a, a video, a couple of video games that make me think about that, which is made by the same developer. Uh, the first one's called Her Story. I don't know if you've heard of it or yeah, played yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Her Story and Telling Lies is the second one. And mm -hmm. Telling Lies especially, you might stumble upon, it is a very like nonlinear game. Uh, you discover the story you know how like it is nonlinear and it's a little bit linear. You could tell that there's probably like some suggested things that kind of guide you along. Uh, but the the premises of both of them are that you're searching a series of video records. And uh, in her story, it's police interviews. In telling lies, it's a series of Skype calls uh, or just calls between each other. And and so when you uh, in order to, when you watch this video, you'll like listen to what the character has to say. And based on what they say, you might pick up a word. Like they're like, oh, I'm going to go see Rose later or something. And, and it's like, oh, okay. And then you uh, type in the search bar Rose and it'll come up with a series of videos that in which somebody mentions Rose or maybe Rose herself shows up or uh, Rose isn't actually a character in that. But uh, at any rate, it, it, it meant that we discovered the story in a, kind of like you were describing with, with your game, 
we'd see the results of something like somebody got stabbed and we have no idea why we don't know who this person is. We don't know who, like, you know, we barely know who the other person is. Uh, why did he get stabbed? I don't know. And eventually like you, you kind of start piecing it together, but it's not necessarily like that hasn't been, that wasn't everybody's experience. Some people didn't discover that till later and it can really shape how you, uh, how you emotionally connect with the story too. Yeah. I think you described that perfectly. Um, It's almost, I mean, piecing together the information I think is the main aspect of it. And you're doing kind of the same thing in Mm -hmm. the light of the mist where you're seeing like these different scenes and then you understand, Oh, this is why this other thing happened. Right. And eventually like by the time you're done, everything comes together yeah so that's really cool and what you were mentioning earlier what I really like is this you know like you said it's a non-linear game but I do like that you gave a suggested order to play the cards in case somebody is either new or overwhelmed and or wants a a bit more of a traditional flow in which it's like you start with the easiest puzzle you end with the hardest puzzle that that's kind of nice that that means that uh, people who might be intimidated by uh, the unnatural order of their puzzles have have an option uh, for them. So when so you you wrote this with sorry it was Jack Fallow right? Correct, Fallow. Yeah. So what was the experience like? Because um, they are a an illustrator. I don't want to. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. They're an illustrator. Um, and so you managed the puzzles, they did the illustration, and you both worked on the story? Yes. Yeah, so what was the process like? Because I know that you normally, uh, in the past, you've you've designed on your own, and so this is a real collaboration. And so what was that collaboration process like for you? It was really great and uh, refreshing to <laughs> not be working on something totally by myself. Um, <laughs> but also, I mean, Jack illustration is just incredible and the first the first steps in making the game was to create just like a full draft of every single card in the deck um there's 78 cards so that was a big task to begin with and play test the puzzles to make sure that they work in their most basic form so like minimum viable product level um but I mean, my draft cards <laughs> are so silly and it's kind of amazing to watch the evolution of them coming into their final form. So I basically had these little doodles that had just like the yeah, very did. bare minimum information, which you played with. Yes, and yes, I did. once I knew people were able to solve that, then Jack made sketches of the whole deck and it was really kind of incredible to like see these little doodles become actual art just constantly surprised and amazed by the output of those and so then I play tested everything while it was sketched out to make sure that the actual art and all the extra added details wasn't adding anything confusing and generally my instructions were you know something along the lines of you know a b and c must go exactly here and do do whatever you want with the rest of it. Just don't put anything too cluey in there. <laughs> right. Yeah. So did the puzzles ever have to change as the 
art developed because I saw, I mean, seeing, you're right, seeing the difference between the little alpha card test cards that I had, which I made even harder on myself, by the way, because I printed it out on my, uh, again, I was visiting my parents, I think for Christmas and um, I printed it out on my dad's computer, which had barely any ink in it. So I got a series of pink, blue and yellow cards. <laughs> so not only that, I bucked up the colors for myself. It was, it was fantastic. You know, when I saw the Instagram posts that you had of, of the sample art and that kind of thing, I was like, whoa, like, you know, just seeing the evolution was incredible. So how, how do puzzles change as things like artwork changes? Cause like you said, there could be things in there that you know, oops, someone's going to think it's a clue. And, and now they're, they've made up a puzzle in their head that doesn't exist. Yeah. I mean, thankfully Jack was pretty good about not adding anything too cluey. So (laughs) most of the, (laughs) most of the extra things that they added was a lot of kind of background elements and and like trees, grass and that kind of stuff. Um, The puzzles were all pretty much adjusted to the point of, working before I had them do the sketches and because there were so many cards this was all a very long process so I ended up making a priority list for what should be sketched out first Ah. so that was either um so that was usually puzzles that I was kind of like I I know this works this is what you need to add so just sketch these out first and we can start already testing them in the sketched out version rather than the draft version And for ones that were kind of still in progress or I still had to tweak a bunch of stuff, um, a couple of puzzles I changed totally that I didn't have to do that too much, thankfully. Mostly it it worked and just needed like smaller edits. Um, But so those big changes were made before they actually started drawing anything because otherwise, you know, once, once you've got things sketched out, it takes a lot of time and effort to be editing it rather than just edit my little drafts and make sure that the puzzle works. And so after after everything was sketched, it was a lot of really minor tweaks. And a lot of times it actually ended up being um, edits to the clue rather than to the artwork. Like most of the time the artwork made sense. And sometimes it was just the wording that needed changing. So people would, you know, kind of get stuck on one word and think it, it means one thing when it really, I, my intention was to communicate something else. So I think the clues actually ended up going through more iteration than the visuals, surprisingly. Oh, that's interesting. So like adjusting the, the cluing rather than adjusting, you know, either the artwork or the whole puzzle. That's cool. I like that. And so when it comes to the nonlinear games and that kind of thing, you you have, I would say like your previous games are, are definitely nonlinear. I think a lot of take home uh, puzzle games end up being pretty nonlinear. What advice do you have for people who have maybe, who are maybe used to designing a more linear experience? What is my advice if they wanted to? If they want to go more, yeah. If they want to say, oh, I want to tell the story out of order, or like I want all the puzzles to be available all at the same time. Um, any any advice on that? And, if, and if the answer is, I don't know, that's fine too. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I think I kind of mentioned this earlier, like giving a starting point is usually helpful um, and keeping the puzzles kind of self-contained and giving people goals also help. So like if you, you know, have a little 
introduction and it says, you know, you need to find A, B, and C. And then you have puzzles in front of you that like pretty clearly relate to those goals and you know what you need to accomplish. I think knowing those things goes a long way in making things less confusing for people when they have options to work on more than one thing. So those would be my the two biggest points. The two biggest ones. And so your Kickstarter starts soon, I want to say. September 21st. September 21st. Oh my goodness. So that's uh, and people can can people find it or find you on Kickstarter to to get that announcement uh, notification. I just learned about these. I didn't realize that you can go on Kickstarter and just say, just let me know when this campaign starts. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the pre-launch page. Um, you can find our pre-launch page at bit.ly/slash/in-all-caps/light-ks. So L-I-G-H-T-K-S in all caps. Yeah. Um, or you can also just go to getpostcurious.com and you'll find everything that you could ever want about Postcurious there. <laughs> yes, that's also true. So they can they can also check out. The Emerald Flame, which I think is—is is that on sale now? Is that like being sold? It's on—it's on sale for pre-order. Mm-hmm. It's still—it's uh, in the last phases of manufacturing now, and yeah, uh, hopefully will be actually shipping out uh, mid-fall. Uh, that's awesome. I, have you been affected by? I know there's been a lot of struggle with getting materials or the price of materials and that kind of thing. Were you affected much by that or by that point, had you done most of the manufacturing? No, we've definitely been affected by it. Oh no. Um, Well, it's, I mean, for one thing, it's caused incredible delays in the production. Yeah. Uh, But it's also, uh, I don't think we've been so uh, affected by the material cost because we kind of locked in the price uh, when we, you know, started the process, Mm -hmm. but the freight prices worldwide are also insane. Uh, So that, that has definitely affected us there. It's pretty much like (laughs) triple of what was uh, quoted, you know, a year and a half ago before the pandemic. So that's, that's been quite a ride. And I mean, I hope it ends soon just for the sake of all you know, small board game publishers, because it's really, it's hitting a lot of people hard. Yeah. It's been, oh my God. Shipping. Shipping is always going to be this awful thing that will never get better. I feel like even after yeah, the pandemic. it only ever goes up. Like yeah. you, ask a, you ask a shipping company for quotes and they're like, well, here's this year's rates. It'll probably go up 10% next year. Um, but the freight has been like, <laughs> just like doubled since April. Oh my so God. It's, oh my it's totally crazy. Oh, wow. Wow. It's tough being a, a yeah, like you said, it's tough being a game designer. An indie game you, designer. Can, you can't even expect it. You know, they don't, nobody yeah. knows what the, what the freight forwarders are going to do. Um, because earlier in the year they were like, Oh, well, it's a lot right now, but you know, we're hoping it'll go down by the end of the spring. And then it only, it's, only went up. It only went up. We're like, did we say down? We kind of meant up. Oh, well, hope you, hope you get your stuff. Well, what they really mean is, well, now we just don't know. <laughs> so we're not even gonna, we're not even gonna say, cause we just don't know. That's probably, I guess, probably for the best. I mean, at least they don't get your hopes up. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it is because one thing that one could do if they wanted to would be say, okay, my game is done. Let me put it in 
storage for now and wait till the prices go down. Um, but they might never go down. So I think, you know, yeah. we're kind of biting the bullet and just saying like, well, we're, we're not going to delay this any further. We're going to get these shipped and it's going to cost what it's going to cost because if we wait any longer then could end up being even more, there's just, there's no end in sight and there's no way to predict what's going to happen. And also, I mean, they just, if they can get people to pay this much, then they will. So that's also (laughs) very, it kind of comes down to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for what it's worth, I'm very excited to see the game and to see, uh, to find to get to to play the the full version of actually no I haven't played any version of Emerald Flame yeah I'm just no. excited to see it so that's that'll be great might put this in earlier but I'm actually also just curious so like was it um, was this collaboration um, your idea that you were trying to find an illustrator or was it the other way around was it Jack uh, looking for a a puzzle designer. Well, Jack also designs puzzles uh, for Cryptogram Puzzle Post. Right. Also probably, uh, you know, helped in terms of they are they knew what sort of things would confuse people if they were going to add them. So it just. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Illustrate which knows puzzles is a good thing. Right. It, <laughs> it helps. Definitely. Um, so it was like, well, don't add a bunch of like random shapes to this that are going to look weird and people will read something into it. Um, but I, I mean, it was basically my idea to create a puzzle tarot deck. And when I, and I did, but I knew that I wasn't really the person to illustrate it. And mm. I thought it would be a good project uh, to work on with Jack and Jack had actually thought about in the past about illustrating a tarot deck and it was something that they were definitely excited about but they always felt like there's already so many tarot decks out there will be the reason for me to illustrate one what's going to make it different from everything that's already out there Mm -hmm. and the answer was it's also a puzzle game (laughs) what was your what was your favorite part about designing this game oh (laughs) that's a great question i have put you on the spot Um, yeah um i think it was kind of fun to use the meanings of the cards and allow that to inspire Mm. the puzzles in the story so you know the the puzzles are not like i i don't think they feel arbitrary no way that they can sometimes because you're always you know, for like, for the chariot, for example, you're like building a kind of path for yourself that then you have to go down, you know? So just things, things like that, that are, you know, making everything interrelated uh, was kind of its, its own pleasure, I guess. And as we went on, there were things that came up in the story or there were things I thought of to add to the puzzles and everything kind of started clicking together more and more as we went on. Like, it was like, oh, well, if we include this, then it also ties into this other thing. So kind of having all of these somewhat separate elements, like the puzzles are really modular. Mm-hmm. Like you can, you know, you can sit down and you can sit for three hours and play a bunch of them, or you can just have a coffee and like solve one puzzle at a time and then solve another one tomorrow if you want, you know, whatever your preferred style of gameplay is um but everything has these little connections and like little 
bits that are mentioned in different pieces of the text. So as you go through the whole thing, you're starting to also create those connections. Um, but it was really satisfying to kind of experience those coming together as we were designing it. And sometimes even realizing that something that I added unconsciously was, uh, you know, connected to something else that was already there. Right. Oh, yeah, that's true. And I think that's something that I really would love to see a lot more in escape rooms, whether they're in person or take home or online or whatever, what have you. There is still, I feel, I don't know if you feel the same way, but in many ways, there's still a big disconnect between the purpose of the puzzles and the purpose of the narrative. And and to have those interrelate and to have them thematically link as well. Like, yeah, like you said, the steps that you take in the puzzles for the tarot deck directly relate to the steps that you are taking in the narrative as well. And, you know, when, when that can happen, it's just, it's a very satisfying experience, even as a player and even playing that alpha test, um, I could see that that was the direction it was going and that, uh, and that I could easily see the parallels between the two. And I don't know, I, I, like I said, I wish I could see it more in escape rooms. It's, it's difficult to do, but I think, yeah, if you, if you can manage it, you know, it's, it's also great to see from your design as well as it from the player perspective. Yeah. I think it is definitely something that's hard to do, especially in escape rooms because you're a little bit more limited by the medium and how much yeah. story you can include to a certain degree. Like you're not, you know, you're probably not going to want to have a lot of text or voiceover elements. So you're kind of trying to convey the story through the puzzles more, which is always challenging and then to create also parallels well creating parallels between puzzles is also kind of tough because sometimes people might misunderstand you know make false connections that you're not that are not really there right, right. like you don't want to use the same shapes for two different puzzles because people are going to confuse those for being part of the same puzzle right um, so having these kind of little details that come back in the text or that come back in in different artwork um, or even are just like Easter eggs, like even on the box cover, there's like a little butterfly. And that is kind of a thematic element, both in the cards and in the story that keeps coming back in sort of different versions of itself, so to speak. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Rita. And for... Wait, before we wrap up, I want to ask you a question. What? What? That's <laughs> not allowed in the podcast format. <laughs> I'm turning it. The tables have turned, Amanda. Oh, no. Um, what is your favorite part of playing nonlinear games? Ah, yeah. My favorite part? Nonlinear games. I'm a sucker. Do you know what? I'm actually a sucker for nonlinear narrative. I love being told a result and having to piece together what happens or having to speculate um, how those characters got there, especially if you're dumped in and you're just kind of seeing the end of uh, you're seeing like the end of a, a scene or something like that. And two characters are, are heatedly arguing and that kind of thing. And you have, you have no idea why. Uh, and because it almost is that all in itself is almost like a mystery. It's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, 
It means that anything could happen. I don't have all of the information yet. And so it's kind of exciting to speculate and to think about like, maybe not all is as it seems. Maybe the person who is holding a gun to somebody might actually be the good guy. You don't know, right? Or like, you don't know all of the information yet. So the process of discovering that is is very satisfying for me. And for that reason, that's why I love, I love things like, um, like television shows that, that play around with that kind of thing, play around Mm -hmm. with the linearity of a story. And sometimes without you even actually realizing it until they drop something on you and you realize you've been watching, oops, you've been watching something from 20 years ago this whole time and you didn't know it. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and in games, I think a nonlinear story, um, is a great thing in games. Uh, I think it can be done really well in games. And, uh, and yeah, I just, that's, that's the part I love the most. Um, when it comes to, to puzzles, I think what I like is the ability, like, like you said, I like the ability to put something down. That took me a long time to train to do. I used to, I used to be the person clutching the puzzle to their chest and and being like, no, but we must solve it because if we don't, that means I'm dumb. And uh, (laughs) realizing that, yes, sometimes when you put something down for a while uh, and then come back to it, oh, it suddenly clicks. And I don't know, there must be, there's probably psychological studies on that kind of phenomenon. (laughs) like what what happens to your brain or how your brain relaxes or uh there's just something in there that's ready to click you just you know you know you just need a little bit of time for the ideas to cook and yeah i i kind of really like that little aha when um the best one i had actually was with tales of ord when i was walking I think I got stuck on one of the Tales of Ward puzzles and I, and it, it was the kind of game that my friends and I took a couple of months to play. And so I was like walking down the street uh, at lunchtime at work and then <laughs> had this like sudden click in my brain, this eureka moment when I wasn't even thinking about anything. And then suddenly the answer to the puzzle was there. And I was like, so excited I had to (laughs) rush back to my office. I didn't even get lunch. I rushed back because I wanted to sneak onto our Tales of Words spreadsheet that we had going of answers and and start like pumping in numbers to see if it worked. And it did. And and my, you know, my coworker was sitting there being like, what are you so excited about? I'm like, I don't know, this this year end, it's going great. Like, you know, and yeah, to, to, to That's have amazing. That, You're going to have to tell me after this what puzzle it was. I, it was like one of the first ones too. It was like from episode one and it was, uh, it wasn't even, I'm trying to remember which one specifically it was, but I remember it was the first episode because I was texting my friends being like, I've got it, I've got it. And they were sure that I'd gone to the hint page. I'm like, no, I had to, I swear. <laughs> Um, oh, they don't have they didn't have faith. They didn't have faith. Well, they know I'm team hints. They know that if I get too frustrated, I'll be like, let's just get a hint. And yeah. <laughs> so they they were sure that I'd gone to the hint page and lied through my teeth. And I'm like, no, not this time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was my very long-winded answer. So thank you for asking that question. That's uh, no, I think you gr- brought up a great point too, that it is sort of the 
it is the mystery format in a way because if you're if you're solving like a murder mystery you're usually getting you know the ending and then your job is to figure out what happened right so it is yeah, yeah. you know i mean i i think mystery games often feel sort of linear but i guess it depends on how it's presented and if you have like you know here's the body here's the murder weapon here's a bunch of evidence and what you're trying to do is piece together that evidence and i guess in a way that evidence is kind of like pieces of the story that you have to put together in order to see the full picture yeah i mean sometimes like having learned fraud and that kind of thing too now um sometimes that's how fraud works you you're given the end result that's like when you get the job and they're like somebody stole money um but we don't know who or how or where it happened and Ah. it's you kind of working your way backwards like you see the result yep that looks like your money's missing (laughs) but to uh (laughs) it's like yep that's an empty bank account uh but you know like go working your way backward and and uh seeing you know how you could piece that together and all the various scenarios in which it could happen is it's an exciting thing so yeah yeah, accounting puzzles. <laughs> accounting mysteries. They're real and they're exciting. And I'm going to, I swear it. You're going to solve them all. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was, that was a good note to end on. Thank you so much for, for joining me today, Rita. And uh, where once again, people... great talking to you as always. Yeah. Um, so where, once again, where can people find your Kickstarter? So you can go to getpostcurious.com. You'll find all the links to everything from there, or you can go to bit.ly slash in all caps, L-I-G-H-T-K-S. Excellent. And anywhere else that people can find you online, I think getpostcurious.com is probably the easiest place. Yeah, scroll down to the bottom. It's got all the social media links. You guys know how the internet works. <laughs> you, you all know by now. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Maybe or just or just search post curious. You'll find things. Yeah, post curious on Instagram. You know. And if you go to her website, she has all sorts of blog posts as well about the design process and lists of games that you've played that are fun. Same with the Instagram. So I'm always looking uh, for at your recommendations for games. So if you like take home oh, escape room games or you have yet to try one, um, do check out Post Curious because there's all sorts of resources there. And there's also free puzzles on the website. So if you've never heard of Post Curious before, if you've never been there, um, there's a puzzle archive that has a bunch of stuff there. So if you're yeah. just sitting around and you want to solve a puzzle, there's um, there's a lot of stuff there. Amazing. Yeah, there you go. There's your little demo if you want to play it. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody. Room Escape Divas is brought to you by Inverse Genius. You can go to inversegenius.com to find other fun podcasts just like this one. You can reach us on Facebook. Uh, Just look for Room Escape Divas. Click the like button every Friday at 6 30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or Eastern Daylight Time, I guess it is now. I don't know. The world's confusing. Uh, We have a a meetup, a community meetup. Errol uh, does attend those still. And occasionally Mike and Ruby come in. They haven't been in in a a few months, but, you know. Uh, But all sorts of other people come there. We just talk about escape rooms. Uh, Sometimes we even beta test each other's puzzles, that kind of thing. It's a grand old time. Uh, And then on Twitter, if you use the hashtag uh, redivas, you might be able to find us. 
And did I miss one? Oh, yes. You can email us at roomescapedivas at gmail.com. Love getting the emails. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.